Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hi there, it's Nancy. And, um, you know, so often on this program, we talk about very um, practical information tools and tips for those caring for um, loved ones and also for seniors themselves. And occasionally, it's I like to bring in individuals to share their experience related to um, their own life. I We're talking today about a cancer healing story with uh, a friend and colleague of mine, Chris Williams. And as I thought about it, I thought, um, how does cancer connect with aging? And so let me just briefly say that um, the risk of getting cancer increases with age. According to the National Center, the National Cancer Institute, the median age at the time of a cancer diagnosis is age 66. So although I wanted to air this story, regardless, there is a connection between what we're talking about today and the experience of aging. So let me just say that one year ago this week in March of 2020, Americans began to fully understand that a deadly virus was among us. For my guest, Chris, it was the beginning of a year of being confronted with a stage three endometrial cancer diagnosis and what she calls her year of healing. A cancer diagnosis leaves most of us spinning out, rushing to learn as much as we can about about the diagnosis, brings us face to face with our own mortality, forces many of us to make difficult treatment decisions. And for um, some, it's a spiritual journey. My friend, Chris Williams and colleague, joins me today to talk about what she calls her healing story. She will share those things that supported her in her journey for for the last 12 months. Her story has been an inspiration to all who know her, and especially to the many women business owners that have continued to look to her for guidance and leadership with their own challenges during this year. Her strength has been our strength. Her year of healing during the most challenging year in 100 years uh, in this country has been extraordinary. I believe it's one we can all learn from. So let me tell you a little bit about Chris. (laughs) She's an easily excited person, Um, (laughs) a very positive person. But, you know, she describes herself um, as an author, an international speaker, uh, a business development leader, um, uh, a sales and marketing leader, uh, business owner. She grew up in a successful family-owned business, and after receiving her marketing finance degree, um, experienced huge success um, at Xerox Corporation, where she trained more than a thousand sales reps and launched forty-eight new products, and created the first local business telesales development team. Um, Her entrepreneurial spirit prompted her to open 
her own value-add reseller business with a staff of 17, growing market share and overall revenue to $4 million. Today, her company, Wide Awake Business, works with business owners who are seeking answers to their own challenges related to growth and sometimes burnout while seeking an easier, simpler, more profitable business. She is co-author of two best-selling books, Customers Are the Answer to Everything and Customertopia, a true leader to many. But in March of 2020, same time as we all became aware of COVID, Chris's life changed. She was diagnosed with stage three cancer, her world spun out of control, and today she is sharing her healing journey with others. An extraordinary individual in my book. Um, I'm so glad to have you with me today, Chris. Welcome. Thank you, Nancy. That was very sweet. You, um, you've had a hell of a year. And um, for many of us outside of your personal inner circle, um, we're only slightly aware of it. Um, and so it, I think it's um, very brave of you, um, given who you are and what you do in your professional life, to step out and talk with us today about your experience. But for so many, it is the experience that they have. And for some, probably many some, they're just beginning this journey. And so um, I I am interested to hear how it began for you. And and then, of course, I want to hear about how it, evolved for you and where you are today. So let's just start at the beginning. Um, the beginning. <laughs> the last time I saw you physically in person, um, we were entering, en- ending a retreat together, a conference together, and the very next day you had surgery. Yes, yes. And that was like day. March 10th, I think. Right. Yeah. This might yeah. be the anniversary of it. Or close. <laughs> I think it's the one-year anniversary, oh, my God, of your surgery. Yeah. So um, tell us, what, what the heck was going on for you? So um, first of all, it's uh, the first time I've ever spoken about this story, ever. And when the opportunity kind of showed up, it was, um, I remember feeling like, ooh, am I really ready to tell that story? Mm-hmm. Um And it feels so important to me because the information that I gathered through the journey and um, how I uh, came out of the journey um, is a story that I believe can help a lot of people. I didn't realize, but 600,000 people die of cancer every year. And um, that's a huge number. I mean, we're looking at COVID at 500,000, which is huge. And cancer is 600,000 is huge. And a higher and higher percentage of the people dying of cancer are children. Um, And, you know, who knows what it all is. It's genetics, it's environment, it's metabolic, it's whatever all those pieces are. So fast forward or go back a year. I left the retreat and um, I did that on purpose because I knew that at that retreat, I would be as in my best self and as strong as I could possibly be. Um, So I left on Monday night, Tuesday morning, went into surgery. And this was fascinating. I go into surgery and this is when COVID was first happening. And the guy at the front desk says, 
have you had any COVID symptoms? I'm like, what are those? <laughs> right? Because who would have known? Um, so I went into surgery. I was as strong as I could possibly imagine. I'd never had surgery before, ever, and only been in the hospital one time. And um, so I go in to have surgery. The doctor's talking to me. They give me my go-to-sleep meds. I don't even know what they were. They give me my go-to-sleep meds. And the next thing I know, I wake up and the doctor's standing there and he goes, how are you feeling? And I go, well, when do I get to go into surgery? He goes, we're all done. And you did great. And I didn't find any more cancer. You should be perfectly fine. Don't even worry about it. I'll see you in three weeks. I was in and out of the hospital with the hysterectomy in, I don't know, two and a half hours, came home. Um, I live, my bedroom is upstairs. And so the whole family's like, no, you can sleep in the downstairs room, whatever. I walked into the downstairs room. I'm like, no, I'm going to my own room. I walked upstairs, walked up and down those stairs, never, ever had any pain, et cetera. So I'm thinking I'm all good. Three weeks, go into the post-op appointment by myself because I'm, he said I was all good. And he sits down right in front of me, knee to knee, and he goes, bad news. And I go, what do you mean bad news? And he says, you have stage three endometrial cancer. And I couldn't, oh. and I didn't get it all. And I'm like, what? You oh, told me God. I was fine. So um, hence started the journey. And um, they were so urgent about meeting your oncologist and meeting your radiologist and getting you in. And so that was March 10th. Let's say post-op was somewhere early April, I had my first chemo treatment on March, May 5th, so it was super fast. So I went to chemo on May 5th against every bone in my body. I, my friends were like, I can't believe you of all people who never do medicine, never do vaccinations are going to chemo. And I said, well, I don't really think I have a choice. I'm going to die if I don't have chemo. And so um, I went to chemo one, seven hours of a drip. They drip stuff in me for seven hours. And it was the most, uh, I went to the 7.30 appointment and there's, they go 7.30 a.m. and they go, are you sure you went the 7.30? Not very many people come. I go, that's exactly why I'm coming at 7 a.m. I didn't want to sit in a room with a whole bunch of people, you know, and the room was fabulous. We got our own little cubicle. We had a little lounge chair. Truthfully, it was some of the most restful time I had. You know, just being a busy entrepreneur and mom of five and, you know, all of those things that go along with all that. And um, went to chemo one, three weeks later, went to chemo two, three weeks later, four, three weeks later, five. So right before my fifth chemo, I was doing a healing workshop with um, some client or with a friend. And one of the things that came out of it is... Um, this book called, write this down if anybody's interested. It's called Radical Remission. It's by Dr. Kelly Turner. And she's a psychologist, doctor psychologist. And she wrote this book after interviewing a thousand people who had radical remission. Some went to chemo, some went to radiation, all different things. And she came up with these nine factors. So somebody, I don't even remember who it was, gave me that book or told me to get the book. So I got the book, I read it once, read it twice, read it three times and woke up, literally woke up one day and go, oh my gosh, if I don't advocate for myself and figure out the way out of this, I'm going to end up like all those other patients in the waiting room who look like they're dying and maybe are dying. I, who knows? So the nine factors are 
change your diet, take supplements, and get exercise. So I was already doing most of those, pretty much those three things. But the fourth one was advocating for yourself, advocating for your medical health, knowing that your medical, and that's what care management's all about, right? And this is a funny tie-in story. So I know lots of care managers, and I was thinking, who could I call who could help me figure this maze of the healthcare system? Because I'm a mom and an entrepreneur. I teach marketing and sales. <laughs> I have no idea about the medical field. So um, I called Patty Shelton, care manager in Reno, yes. Nevada, yes. and she had been an oncologist nurse at UC Davis for years. And she goes, she just helped me through the whole process and just said, here's what you need to do. Here's who you need to call. Here are the questions you must ask. So one of the questions was, does my chemotherapy build on each other? You know, does it actually build? And the answer was no, that chemo one doesn't build on chemo two, doesn't build on chemo three. So once I got that answer, I said, I called up the oncologist nurse and I said, I'm going to postpone chemo five and six. And she said, well, we'll talk to the doctor and see what we'll do. And, and I'm like, okay. And I get off the phone and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the boss of my own life. And so I called her back and I said, wait a second, Julie. I go, I'm not having chemo five and six. I'm just going to postpone it. And what I'd like is a PET scan. That's what Patty Shelton, the care manager, suggested. She goes, go get a PET scan and see if the cancer is already gone. And then you can make some different decisions. I go and get a PET scan. This is like end of August. I get a PET scan, uh, September 1, PET scan. PET scan came back negative. Negative, 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 no more cancer. So I called up the oncologist and she go, and to get my PET scan report. And the oncologist says, um, well, the nurse, uh, the nurse to the oncologist says, the doctor will review the report and get back to you. And I said, no, no, it's been a week. I want, um, I want to hear the results. And so she said, well, give me a couple of days. And so she, go, she called me back and she goes, you can come by and pick up the results. So I went by and picked up the results. And I'll tell you right after the break what the results were. <laughs> Although we have four minutes till break. Oh, shoot. Okay, so I get the results back, and the results were negative. And there were a couple of things in the PET scan that said I had – this is an interesting thing, too. So they, I had a lesion on my kidney. I had a lesion somewhere else in three spots. Well, I don't know about you guys, but marketing and mom think that lesions equal cancer. They don't. Lesion is just a word, and the – um, the Greek word or the Latin word actually just means whole. It doesn't mean anything else. And so, um, so I went back to the oncologist and I said, okay, I need to get these tested. I had um, all three of the areas tested with um, ultrasound yes. and they all came back negative. So since September 1, I've been cancer-free. I swear that the book Radical Remission saved my life because I'm not sure that two more chemo, because I, I could tell I was getting weaker all the time, my sure. immune system, and with COVID, who knows? Um, but the book Radical Remission, I took the book Radical Remission 
and the second book called um, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer by um, oh, Williams. I can't think of her first name. Mm-hmm. And those two books... Because they did all these tests on me, every single test of, is it genetic? No genetic. Is it this? Is it that? So if it isn't all of that, then what is it? And it had to be metabolic, which means I could manage it by diet, exercise, supplements, and keeping my mind. So on those nine factors, one was, you know, supplements, diet, and um, exercise. The fourth one was advocating for your whole your own health and the other five were all psychology ah uh-huh. well perhaps you can grab the book and you can share some of those other five um when when we come back from the break which okay. we are not leaving to do yet okay <laughs> i will I thought that's a great idea yeah um, grab the book and what was the other book um, you can get the name of the author as well during the break, but what was the name of the oh, other I know. book? Uh, the other book was called uh, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. Oh, okay. Um, and it's by Natasha Williams. I just couldn't think of her name. Oh. Um, but those two, Natasha Williams also came up with these factors or something in the same realm. And basically, you can look at those, take the little tests and go, oh, my gosh, stress is one of my issues or, oh, my gosh, eating sugar is one of my issues or my diet is my issue. Um, And that sort of helps pinpoint where to go. But this is the fascinating part, Nancy. I bought those two books and walked into my oncologist and gave her those two books and said, you have to read these two books. They saved my life. And she told me, go give them to the nurse um, navigator because I probably won't read them. So, So what I have to say about that is if I hadn't have advocated for my own health, and if you all don't advocate for your own health, then what happens is we're just abdicating to part of a model part of a machine a system um yeah the the um conveyor belt of individuals coming through and they have only so many tools in their toolbox uh, unless unless you happen to meet that unusual individual physician who has you know begins to think outside the box So when we come back, I want to talk more about what was happening before those books in terms of healing, because I know it wasn't all, um, you weren't just passively um, sitting around until those books came came to your life. Yeah, so I want to hear more about your journey. And so we'll be right back with Chris Williams, who's sharing her um, cancer healing story. I'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help? making a difficult decision for an aging loved one. Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. 
their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Nancy. Welcome back. I've We've lost Chris, but I assume she'll be coming back on any moment. And so... Um, until she does, we'll, uh, we'll just chat a little bit. I want to give a shout out to my sponsors, TrueLink Financial, who um, are um, coming on board, and also to um, uh, the New Mexico private fiduciary company, decadesgroup.com. Um, if you want to find... Um, episodes like the one I'm doing here today with Chris. You can go to voiceamerica.com. We, the show is live on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, and uh, it's called Aging Life Network. And we are, um, we've done 28 shows so far and a variety of topics uh, related to legal, financial, and healthcare issues, um, those um, concerned about an aging loved one or for seniors are concerned about. So, Chris, welcome back. You made me nervous. Here you are. Thank you. And um, I know you you ran off to get your your books, so we can talk a little bit more. Um, how's your audio? No, I can't hear you. So, um, hey, so I'm here with Chris Williams, and she is an entrepreneur, uh, best-selling author. She's written two international best-selling books. She's one of those type A personalities, hardworking women who um, works with a lot of business owners. She's got a great community that she's developed. Um, She has a community of women business owners called Lead Her Up that I happen to be a part of, Um, women from all over the country uh, who are um, successful in business. It's really a wonderful group uh, of folks. And many of them have had many challenges in the last year. Um, And um, Chris has been right there with them. She did not um, share anything about her cancer diagnosis, I believe, until after she 
in the course of having chemo, lost all of her hair and and was wearing scarves and, you know, began to become apparent that there was something different looking about her. And um, I want to hear more about her choice to let people know. You know, in 2009... Um, okay, I'm I, back. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Thank you so much, Chris. I was just about to say in 2009, I, I had my own cancer um, experience with um, stage 2 breast cancer. And so... Um, I know that it's um, it's quite a journey, and for me, certainly that first year was very significant. Um, and for those of us who feel compelled to continue to be in the world and uh, work, and um, you know, uh, continue to be the personalities we are, um, it can it can be quite. Um, I would say, can I say, I'm going to project here, can I say that it, it really, cancer really challenges your um, your vulnerability on a lot of levels, but particularly in, in your out, outer world, right, in how you present, present yourself to the outer world. Did oh, my you? gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How was that for you? I know how it was for me, but um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because that, um, I'm assuming, and tell me if I'm right or not, that that began pretty quickly after you got that stage three cancer diagnosis. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to continue to be in the world with this? Well, and here's the most obvious way that it happened. So it was after they say you're not going to lose your hair, maybe not lose your hair and probably not lose it till after chemo too. So that's six to eight weeks. Well, two weeks after chemo one, I was sitting downstairs and um, my hair was all matted and I couldn't figure out why it was matted. It was like you hadn't, like I hadn't brushed my hair and I'm like, that's weird. And so I'm looking at it and a couple days later I tugged at it uh, a bunch of hair came out uh, and then the next day I said, no, we're not doing this. We're shaving my head. So my daughter came up, we got a bottle of wine and we shaved my head. And um, the next morning, literally the next morning, seven o'clock in the morning Pacific time, I had a zoom call with 13 of my clients, 13 of them. And it was seven, you know, quarter to seven. I'm getting ready for the Zoom call. I put on all my clothes and then I look in the mirror and I go, oh my gosh, I totally forgot I don't have any hair. And (laughs) I put a scarf on my head, which I ended up never wearing a scarf, but I put a scarf on that day because I didn't know what else to do. And there are a bunch of nurses and they said, what are we doing? Or why why do you have a thing on your head? And I'm like, "Uh, I, I had no idea what to say. That was the most talk about vulnerability. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so heart wrenching, scary, um, changing my identity of who I am. Um, Cause my hair, I don't know about you guys, but my hair is everything <laughs> um, or was everything. Huh. Um, so it was that. And then I think the other part of it that happened, the vulnerability piece 
is learning to ask for help. I, like Nancy said, I'm a strong person, a type A personality. People ask me for help. I don't really ask other people for help. That took me to my knees. I mean, there was one night I was laying in bed and I was just sobbing because I couldn't figure out how the five kids would live without a mom. I couldn't figure out if I could never work again, what would I do? It was just took me to my knees. Yes. <laughs> and then? <laughs> and then I somebody turned me on to this book called Radical Remission. Actually, I know who it was now. It was the nurse nutritionist at the hospital. Uh-huh. Um, I went to the nurse nutritionist because I didn't know what else to do. And I'm sitting in her office and she goes, there's a, she didn't even know the name of the book, but she had heard of it. She hadn't read it. She had heard of it. And she said, there's a book called radical something cancer remission or something. And I've heard it's really good. And so as I was talking to her and seriously, when I was sitting in the lobby waiting for my um, chemo treatment, the folks around me, I swear, my heart went out to them. They looked like they were dying. And the nurse nutritionist told me that one in 10 people who come to her have the attitude that Kelly Turner talks about in radical remission, the attitude of radical, um, what is the, what is it? Um, increasing positive emotions. Um, she says one in 10 people and most of them are so unhealthy and so toxic that they don't even notice like the first four or five chemo treatments. They don't really even notice. It doesn't even affect them. The last few are harder. Um, and the people who come into chemo more positive, the first couple are hard and the rest of them, they just fly through. Um, but one in 10 people, Nancy, I, it amazes me. It's like, we need to grab a hold of all these, 66 plus year old people and say, wait a second, this doesn't need to be your choice. Um, I think that's what Kelly Turner's book, radical remission. And I know I sound like a salesperson for it, but it changed my life. And I, I went and grabbed it at the break. So here's what it says. Radically change your diet, take control of your health. So advocating for yourself. I said that earlier, follow your intuition So my intuition was never to do chemo from day one, but I had so many people creating a fear in me and giving me no hope. Like that that was my only choice using herbs and supplements, releasing suppressed emotion, increasing positive emotion, embracing social support, asking for help, depending or deepening my spiritual connection and having strong reasons for living. So I had strong reasons for living I definitely deepened my spiritual choice or connection. And what um, my spiritual teacher shared with me is that I had gotten so far away from my spirituality that I, it was like live or die. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm living all day long down on my knees praying, you know, realizing that I had control over my own life. And the, you're right, the vulnerability, the asking for help, losing my hair, um, and then just surrounding my people, the, the women around me, bar none, all deserve a medal. 
I have three that are really close to me that live right by me, and I call them my 911 sisters. They took me to doctor's appointments. They took me to chemo appointments. They kicked my butt when my psychology got in the toilet. They took me on walks and hikes, and I don't know. It's like it was all about the people surrounding me. Um, It was a pretty incredible learning experience about how we as women leaders, whether you're a mom or you're retired or you run a business, it, it doesn't matter. We all lead. We lead all day long. I was thinking the other day when I was doing uh, the dishes and I was thinking about how I trained, led my five children to do clean up the kitchen. They're all fabulous at it because I led them since they were two years old because I knew that a family of seven, if I didn't train them early, that would be a problem. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work. Yes. But it's still, it's leading, you know, no matter what we do, we are women leading and look at our country now, look at the people leading. It's like, oh my gosh, the young um, poet that got up and spoke, she's 20, what, 22? And she spoke so eloquently. It's like, oh my goodness. And so um, even during that period of chemo, you were, um, even before the book, um, I'm sure you had friends reaching out to you, but you were struggling with how to ask when. Well, yes and yes and no, because it was interesting that my 911 girls, I didn't know this at the time, but they didn't know how to help. They'd never experienced anyone with cancer before, so they didn't know what to do. And I'm a strong person, so it's not like you know, they had done it with me before. I had to actually ask them, I need you to go to appointments with me. I need you to remind me to record the appointment because I can't get all the information because it's not in my language. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really that advocating and, you know, yes, you, all the women in my life and some men all, you know, rallied around me and offered help. What was fascinating is, they didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to do. Sure. Um, so it was really following that intuition. It was learning to ask questions. Um, the care manager was brilliant in that. Um, and, and so all about, those different pieces. What about um, your, your children? Um, how has it changed your relationship with your children? That's a great question. Um, so I live with um, two of my daughters. Uh, the other two are, mar- two are married and live separate, you know, in different homes. And then one daughter's at college. And my two daughters who live with me literally sat me down and they said, Mom, we're going to get through this. <laughs> I'm like, okay, here we go. And, um, they, and it was at the beginning of COVID. So they were all nervous all the time of um, – you know, exposing me to COVID. Um, And so that was a really interesting experience. And there were some people telling me, your children are too young. They're 21, 23, the two that live with me. And they're too young to go through that. And I kept looking at them and I thought, if I don't take them through it with me, what are they going to think? They're not going to know. They're not going to, like, what if I did die? What if, (laughs) <laughs> would have been terrible. Well, and, and they'll just stay in their fear unless you bring them into the process, I would imagine. I mean, that's what I, I would imagine. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think the bringing them into the process was a couple of different things. You know, it was like the day we shaved my head. I, I didn't get any pictures, but I have this, you know, mind map of we're sitting on the porch, they're shaving my hair, we're drinking wine, we're laughing. And that experience will go down in history with them. You know, they will never forget that experience. Sure. The day that my other daughter who's married came over to the house with three scarves and taught me how to wrap them and tie them and, you know, all that good stuff and, and shared with me her fears about, mom, what if you die? What if you're not around next year? What if you don't see the grandbaby grow up? And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, that is not going to be our story. And I heard her fear and her sadness. It was incredible. That's it's, And it's great that you made the space for her to, to bring that to you. Um, because as much as they want to be present for you and what's going on for you, they have a tremendous amount of emotional reaction to um, potentially losing their mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as I said, um, one of the things I have watched uh, with you in the last year is your ability to be there for others and um, continue to lead others, to hold them up, to listen to their needs and challenges and burnout and fears. And, um, and after we um, come back from our break, I would like to know um, what that was like for you. If, if, if how you operate on that level has changed um, given the experience you've had in the last year. So we'll be back Perfect. in 90 seconds to um, finish our conversation with Chris. Um, I look forward to hearing more, Chris. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, I'm here with Chris Williams, and we're talking about her cancer healing story of the last year. When we left for break, I had asked her um, what that experience was like. You know, she is a person who um, is um, supports many, many other people in her work. Uh, people who are facing a lot of challenges professionally. I'm sure she hears um, about what's happening for them personally. And I'm just wondering how um, this experience has been in terms of her, um, how it's changed the work she does with other people. So um, that's a really interesting question. And I'm glad you asked me it before the break so I could think about it. Mm-hmm. The, um, the part that, so I, after I had that first interaction where I came on the Zoom call without any hair, after that first initial shock for me and shock for them, it took me about a month because I kept, I didn't know what to say, you know, and I had people saying, well, don't tell them everything or don't tell them the, they didn't really say don't tell them the truth, but that's kind of what they were saying. Don't tell them that you have cancer. And I finally got to this point where if I'm expecting them to show up as true leaders and be vulnerable and lead with heart and do all of those pieces that I so believe in, then, and if I show up and I'm not vulnerable with them and they don't tell them the truth, what does that say about, it's like, it doesn't match. And so I called the woman back who ran the first, um, the first event that I showed up with when I was bald and I apologized to her for not telling the whole truth. I didn't lie. I just didn't tell the whole truth. And so, or if that could be lying, I was a withhold. And so I called her back and she said, here's what she said to me. It was Maria. And here's what Maria said. Maria goes, Chris, your vulnerability teaches me how to be more vulnerable with my family, with my life, with my business, with my staff. And that vulnerability I crave. And I'm like, what? Switch like word for word um, at what she said. And so then I got super brave and I started coming on calls without, because I, people were like, you should get a wig. You should get a, a scarf and you shouldn't go anywhere without a scarf. I said, no, I would never wear a scarf it's just not who I am. I would never wear a scarf. I would never wear a wig. I just wouldn't do that. It makes my head hot. So um, I started running around without a, without anything on my head. Thank goodness. I have a good shaped head. I didn't know that. You won't know it until you get all your hair shaved off. Um, <laughs> but um, So I started going to all these meetings and just telling the vulnerable story. And just being real and vulnerable and human with them. And I think that's what, you know, talk about who gave who what, you know, I gave them my vulnerability. They gave me back the feedback that, oh my gosh, you being vulnerable allows me to be vulnerable, which allows me to lead more with heart or show up more with heart with my family, my friends, et cetera. 
So Nancy was kind of a twofold gift, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know that in the beginning. In the beginning, when I was being vulnerable, I was super nervous and I didn't have the words. And I had many people saying, don't tell everybody. You don't need to say that part. And I was like, well, that's who I am. If that's who I am and maybe that's who I'll always be, then I they have to hear the story. And just for the fact that I don't think enough people talk about their cancer journey and 600,000 people die every year. If we can stop two of those or five of those or a hundred of those from dying because they heard a story or we touched their heart or I don't know. And that's why Nancy, I think it's brilliant. We're having this conversation and I love that or not love it, but I get that statistic. I'm 61 the average age is 66 and more and more people are getting cancer. And that's why it's so appropriate for care managers. It's like, we need to know about these books. (laughs) We need to, you know, give people some different choices and know that there's hope out there and people, not everybody dies, which is fascinating. Not everybody dies. So would you say that, um, um, so let's talk about the gifts. Um, I remember I had a friend who um, had um, terrible chronic lung disease, pulmonary fibrosis. It's, you know, a five-year diagnosis. It's really terrible. And she lived 11 years. Um, mm-hmm. But when I, got the, um, when I got my own cancer diagnosis, she gave me a book. I think it's called The Invitation. And it's about mm-hmm. um, joining that club of people who have faced their own mortality and mm-hmm. sort of the the spiritual gift of it, if you will. And I'm just wondering, do you think that um, this experience with vulnerability um, and showing your own vulnerability has been part of your healing journey? Oh, absolutely. I yeah. think that um, it allowed me to get out of my ego more and more and more. Mm. Um, it allowed me to um, ask for help. I don't, I don't really believe I would have been able to ask for help in the, the ways that I did. I mean, I have my friends are going, you took, you know, I did 180 on them because I started asking for help and I started asking for this and asking for that. And um, at the end, I bought them a steak dinner. <laughs> I felt like I'd asked them for so much. Um, But I think that that whole idea of, you know, um, one of my friends, one of the 911 girls said, Chris, it's okay to face your own mortality. I didn't even know what that meant. Right. I, I had no idea what it meant. So I just kept ruminating, meditating, living into writing about, cause I do a lot of journaling, writing about my own mortality. And what I realized is I want, if I was going to die or when I'm going to die, I wanted to make sure that I died in a way that I wanted to die. That, that was just adamant, not an option. And so I started living into that mortality, realizing first I wasn't ready to die Second, I had things to do. I had things to put in order. Many things I've done differently just because, you know, and I know all of you who have kids probably think this, know it, but maybe not act on it. 
I was realizing that every moment that my child, children walk out the door or every moment they get in the car or every moment that something, whatever, they leave, I could be the last time I saw them. So I realized that in my mortality mode, I wanted to make sure that I said everything that I wanted to say, everything that I felt, everything. It was more than I love you, see you later. It was more like, hmm, did I really tell them how important they are? Did I tell them how precious they are? Did I tell them how much they're loved? It makes me, brings tears to my eyes. Um, because that was how I wanted to die. I wanted, if I was going to die and I never saw them again, or they never saw me again, I want them to remember that their mom said, what did your mom say? My mom said I was precious. My mom said she loved me. My mom said I was loved. You know, I, that's all I cared about. And so I just started getting super clear on making sure those final conversations and it, you guys, it could be anything, right? Who knows? Well, yeah. you know, most accidents happen five minutes from your house. We're talking about your your cancer journey, and um, we know that many others have stroke journeys, stroke healing journeys, right. or heart attack healing journeys. I mean, these are, and many more and more of um, of us uh, older adults are continuing to um, run businesses and work in jobs and have busy lives um, well into their 60s and and some in their 70s. And so um, this experience of vulnerability and um, healing and, um, you know, needing to ask for help, all of that is um, a universal experience for people who have been um, you know, busy in life, and suddenly there's this change that occurs. Um, the last question I have, Chris, is it's kind of a um, it's kind of for myself, but I'm sure there are others that feel this way. Um, as a recovering Catholic, uh, mm-hmm. I I have not, you know, I have sought out other institutional religion um, since um, my days uh, as a Boston Irish Catholic girl um, and um, and still find myself seeking, seeking, seeking on that spiritual level. And so, um, which I now believe is more of a very deep internal process than anything, I mean, probably all Catholics will laugh and know this and or Episcopal. <laughs> And church is just part of what they do. But, um, but you know, I couldn't get it from those institutions. And so um, I, I've really clicked on hearing, and we've just got a few minutes left, but if you could share a little bit about the spiritual part and how you worked that and who you worked that with, and I would be interested. Um. So obviously a spiritual journey is super personal to everyone. So um, I'll just share my personal perspective and it seems like it fits all around. So I grew up um, Lutheran, um, raised my kids in Episcopalian church um, just because that's the one we liked and it was closest to home. And, um, and then we also went to a, um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the church, but so anyway, Episcopalian. And um, what I, what I realized is, is that 
my God is inside of me. So my God and my, it's like, it's all in me already. I just need to be able to tap into it. And I think that's what the cancer journey. And I think that's, so if it's external and I'm wondering why God is doing this to me, there's nothing I can really do about that. But if the God is inside of me and the God is, you know, my spirituality is based on what I do and how I show up and how I become the best person that I can be, then I have some control over that. I can do something about that. So it doesn't really matter which way we all believe. So, you know, if I believe in the God external, then I can only do what I can do for myself. I, I have no control over what the external world is going to say, do, treat me, et cetera. So I just got super clear and making sure that my relationship with my God was daily. So, you know, daily prayers, daily meditation, daily. I worked with a spiritual healer um, to really work with some of my messed up thinking that we all, I'm assuming we all have. Right? That's what I make up and just got clear on getting closer to mother, father, God, so that I could have a relationship. So whether I was alive or dead doesn't really matter. What really matters is that I'm connected. I'm connected to the spiritual world. Um, I don't know. That's a little esoteric, but um, it, it, I'm not sure I have much more on that. It, it's a daily, it, it's, it's been a daily part of your healing. Absolutely. And an important part of your healing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just going back to Kelly Turner's, one of the things that she says is deepening your spiritual connection. And when I was, I haven't looked at these nine things for a while and I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, you can't affect impact everything, but you can definitely change your diet. You can take control of your health, follow your intuition, you know, use herbs and supplements, release suppressed, you know, I have control over that. So why not do what I can do? Um, and surround myself by, and, and that's why I think the care management, I, I believe in care management down to my socks and had Patty not been able to express to me that I had a choice that I could advocate for myself. And here are the three questions. I'm like, yeah. Patty, why doesn't everybody know that? I know. Well, I know. I know. Well, you know, uh, my my um, my sense of this is that there's a lot more to your story to be told, and uh, and we've only gotten a bit of it. But now that you're thinking about it, um, I I wish you well on your journey, Chris Williams, and I thank you for joining me today. We'll talk again. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.